0: This is part two of our neurodivergent episode with educator Brittany Smith, which focuses on the toolkit that she references frequently in part one. This will likely make more sense if you've listened to part one. So if you haven't, stop now, go back, listen to it, then come back later. We know that most ERs are on a tight budget and don't have money for extras that shouldn't be extras in the first place. And now with the additional strain that COVID has placed on hospitals, Putting together this toolkit for your department might prove an additional challenge. So here are some ideas. Approach the volunteers at your hospital for donations. Do you have a MedSEN foundation that gives grants? Are there community or state grants that you could apply for? What about projects through community service organizations like Civitan or Kiwanis or Junior League or Rotary Club? Could this toolkit be an Eagle Scout project? Look around in your communities to see if there are other organizations that may be able to step in and help you assemble this toolkit. We also wanna mention that the weighted blanket and the weight lap blankets that Brittany mentions in this episode are not like the commercial ones that we sleep under at night. These weighted blankets can be disinfected for multi-patient use. Finally, Nisa's dog Gus has made cameo appearances in previous episodes with barking and ear flapping and the like. In this episode he let something else fly. We know that ER nurses have excellent assessment skills so you are likely to be able to pick it out and since Nisa was talking when it happened even my wizard editing skills couldn't do anything about it. So we apologize for Gus's Noisy appearance, but we hope that you appreciate all the excellent information that can be found in this episode about dealing with your neurodivergent population. And without further ado, here we go with part two. Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Hello, Brittany. Hello, Nisa. Welcome back to the second half of this special populations
1: episode. Extra special. So, we're covering autism, ADD, ADHD, ODD. And some other um, psychiatric diagnoses that are a little more rare, like um, pediatric schizophrenia and pediatric bipolar. And we have with us Brittany Smith, who is a a special needs teacher and is an expert on teaching children with these diagnoses. And if you haven't checked out the first half of this um, two-part series, you probably want to stop now Mm -hmm. and check it out. No spoilers. Um, (laughs) Right. So... (laughs) We're going to go into the toolkit that Brittany has created and is willing to share with all of our listeners. It is a beautiful, beautiful toolkit. Some of them are actual items and some of them are ideas and tricks that you can use. In her case, in teaching these students, in our case as nurses or emergency providers, it would be in treating these patients uh, if they were to come into your ambulance or into your ER, your trauma bay, your um, resuscitation room.
0: And we will, of course, post a link to uh, this document in the show notes. Go to our website so you can check it out along with some other information.
1: and she and she's made it super easy. There are links to YouTube videos. The YouTube videos are awesome because they actually take you through a two or three minute experience as if you were an autistic person. Like, Going to a coffee shop and having a cup of coffee as if you were an autistic person or walking down the street as if you were a person with autism. I found those very fascinating and helpful to be more empathetic. Um, and uh, there's also a link to an Amazon wish list where if you actually have a beautiful budget in your ED and you just want to click, click, click and buy all of these things and make your toolkit, it's all right there.
0: And for those of us that are visually stimulated, there are a lot of pictures. Yes. Which also makes it a great tool, as we discussed in episode one, for just any pediatric patient. Uh, So whether your patient is special or um, special needs or not, uh, this is a good uh, toolkit that you can use for any patient, maybe even anybody under trauma, because who doesn't like looking at pictures and and doesn't it make it easier when you don't have to talk and can point? So let's go ahead and dive into this. Um, I'm fascinated by it, and I love this document. So, Yeah, Brittany, we've said a lot of stuff, but
1: you're the expert. and You created this toolkit. Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us a lot about it.
2: Um, Well, first of all, this toolkit, the document itself is actually worded like a social fact story. So social facts are what you use with a person with autism to help communicate something. Um usually it can be teaching a skill, it can be teaching a coping skill, it can even be, you know, hi, my name is, and I'm here to I'm here to help you. I have found that something that you always remember when you go to the doctor is you you they give you the chart of how much pain you're in. I never look at the numbers, I always look at the faces. So that's how a person with autism is. Every, that's all that they would notice is what do the faces look like. The biggest thing I want to encourage you to do is please check out the videos of what it is like to be a person with autism. And as close as you can get to empathizing, um, it would give you a really beneficial point of view of a lot of the agitation and frustration that you would see in a pediatric patient especially could simply be because you don't understand what they're trying to tell you. I mean, how frustrating is it for an adult when you're like, you're not listening to me? We talked in the previous episode about your neurons and your, your wiring in your brain and how a person with autism, they have triple the amount. And so there's so much happening at one time that uh, sometimes they can't communicate verbally at all. And so you have to use cards and you have to use charts of where do you hurt? What can I do to help you? So this chart is set up in a way that if you were a person with autism, you would love it. It has pictures, simple questions simple things for you to do to kind of help out your pediatric patients.
1: The, uh, the other thing that I took away from the video that you were mentioning is the um, intense amount of stimulation that's coming in when you are a person with autism, the lights, the noises, um, the inability to separate one noise from another noise. And so when I think about our emergency room, there is so much stimulation and so much input. There are weird noises there are loud beeping is there is loud beeping there are all kinds of smells um that are weird um, there's um all kinds of things around that you've never seen machines and beds that look different than your bed at home and
0: so there's, there's bright lights there's people coming in and out of the room lights. that you don't know you That's can ask right. the same questions i mean i've been in an er and it's it's mystifying so yeah, That's it's crazy. Right. A lot of sharp objects, a lot of people taking your clothes off, a lot of... That's right. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh, everyone's touching you, maybe yes. multiple yeah. people coming in and out of the room um, wanting to touch you. So um, so what I thought maybe we could do is, and and because our episode is not only about, and, and because your toolkit is not only designed for uh, people with autism or children with autism, but also the other diagnoses that we talked about. Um, So what I'd like to do is kind of describe to you what we would do in an emergency room when we have a new patient come in, and then if you would tell us what some of the interventions in your toolkit would be the best to use to help make those children feel more comfortable or maybe um, help it be a less traumatic experience for them. And again, I like the point that that you've made a couple of times that this is good for any pediatric patient, not just pediatric patients with these specific diagnoses. In fact, it could be adults with autism. It could be just adults who are anxious about being in a hospital. Um, So one of the first things that we mentioned was we would bring them into the room. The room is going to have bright lights and we are going to ask them in most cases to take their clothes off and put on a gown. So children with autism, children with ADHD, children with um, other uh, psychiatric diagnoses, what could we do to make that more comfortable for them? Or how could we approach that?
2: I would have a schedule of what it's going to be like in that room right then. So first, you could have a picture of somebody of clothes and then a body. And you could say, I need you to take your clothes off your body. Then I need you to lay down. And just the visuals can be very, very soothing. It's almost like you're telling a story of first, this is what's going to happen. Then this is what's going to happen. Next is this. It's almost like you're asking permission. And that's a really sacred thing right now for a lot of people is this is their body. And and I need you to do this so that you can be safe. But that's what this looks like. Because a lot of times we forget that, especially at a young age, you're a visual learner, and you're a visual learner often until you're in high school. So the power of a great visual. And so on my my list here, I have uh, visual cards of body parts, and I have cards that you can use that just kind of talk about the different parts of your body, and you could just put those together and say, you know, point to the cards, you know, I need you to take your clothes and put them here and then lay down.
1: Okay.
0: It almost sounds as if you're saying we should build like a, like a children's picture book for yeah. ER nurses that's yeah. kind of <laughs> like a choose-your-own-adventure. Here's our million dollar idea, here people. That's that it. so that I you can help say, you write that. yeah, right. That's like it. here, the so the first few pages would be the same. Everybody has to take their clothes off. Everybody has to get on the bed. But then this student, this this patient might need to get um, an IV or might need to get a this. So you flip to those pages. Or this person, here's the body part pages or something like that, yeah. where you could easily flip around and be like, here, can you do this? So there we go. Yes. There's a million dollar idea. We, you I heard, heard it, it first in the keyword podcast, people.
2: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Love
1: it. Love it. So the next thing that we're going to do or one of the next things that we're going to do um, is get some vital signs. So what that might include is taking your temperature. So sometimes we can do it with a thermometer in the mouth. Sometimes we would go in the armpit. Uh, sometimes we have the ear probes or even across the forehead. So what could we do with your student population that would make that? Would, would they go for something under the armpit or would they... I say the least invasive,
2: always go for the least invasive, unless they are uncooperative. And whenever there's the uncooperation, you can always offer a visual. Um, you can even show them a picture of the forehead and say, you know, I'm going to put it here. Um, and then a lot of times, it's like magic. Uh, many times, um, you know, even in class, you would have a diabetic. Um, and unfortunately, you have autism and diabetic. That's like a, a living nightmare. We just had a social story that said, you're going to check your blood. You're going to put your finger here. And, you know, now they have these cool arm things. So, you know, the visual of the the cue cards is always super, super, super helpful. And that's on the wish list.
0: Would holding up your phone with an image do the same thing? Do you think? Yeah,
2: it really will. Yes. Like, d-
1: demonstrate it on mom. Yeah. Like, I'm going to put it in mom's ear. See, it didn't yes. hurt mom. Any no, visual demonstration.
2: Yes, so if you, so scavenger hunt, if you don't have a card, uh use your phone or visually show it them on somebody else, and then try it. Got it. And that's any kid, yes, that's true.
1: So brittany um is has created this beautiful toolkit, but she also has what she's calling this scavenger hunt, where is if you don't have a budget for this toolkit. Um, She also has ideas for what you can just scavenge around in your ED that you might already have there. And so that's what, when she's referring to scavenger hunt, that's what we're talking about. Okay. So uh, one of the next things we would do is uh, blood pressure and we're going to, you know, put the blood pressure cuff on the arm. It is uncomfortable. It's going to squeeze really tight, really tightly, really tight, really tightly, Um, tightly. tightly, Thank you. Um, (laughs) So some of the things that we'll say like to little kids is I'm going to, like, I'm going to see how big your muscle is, or I'm going to give your arm a hug. We'll say that like to preschool age kids sometimes to get them to kind of cooperate or whatever. Um, what, how would you, what What do you think about your student population?
2: Um, if you're a person with autism, you might actually love it. Uh, deep pressure is actually a huge comfort. Um, what you can always do though is other, if you don't have like the visual for it, you can just, squeeze their hand to model how tight it's going to be and then say this is going to just be on your arm like this so something like that like a modeling of it uh but i'll be honest usually they'll absolutely love it
1: <laughs> oh that's interesting I be like, yeah
0: just keep it on them then maybe just keep, keep it on make... yeah exactly just keep it on a cycle that's true it's like a little hug
1: that is right what about the stickers if we're going to do continuous EKG monitoring and we have to put stickers on them and then wires? Are they going to hate that? that? The
0: cold, that? the cold little, those are cold when they go on. That's well, like yeah. you said they like
2: to pick. Uh, yeah, so they're I they're would gonna... say they would pick that off in a heartbeat. Um, I would actually have a social story of this is what's going to happen. Um you can't, you know, then I would have the big X that says, don't do this, this, and this. And one of the things on my toolkit is uh, you should, it's really cool to create a, a nursing book of, y- of you doing it. And you say, you know, this is a picture of this is what it's supposed to look like. And so that means you're not touching it. You're leaving it there. But once you put it, put them on, I would say a weighted blanket would be a great secondary, great tool to put across it. So that then uh, it kind of negates, maybe might balance out the icky, sticky feeling of something on their chest. Uh, out of sight, out of mind, too,
0: maybe. In terms of the visual images that you're talking about, is there a preference for cartoony images over photographic?
2: Um Autism Speaks is a great resource for uh, getting these images that are probably the most appropriate. You want them to be real life, but if you go on on the link that is the wish list, um, they're mostly known as ASD, um, like visual communication. So it'll just show like a stick figure. Usually they're they're kind of binary. I mean, there's not a lot to them. Uh, The less you're putting in into the visual uh, actually the better
0: okay you don't want it to be overpowering so like Ikea instructions for assembling the Malm absolutely bedroom <laughs> chest that's right <laughs> which I have
2: exactly and it, there's, it's crooked on one side because of those awesome instructions
0: exactly <laughs> <laughs> One draw right, will never so close.
2: <laughs> here's the big one. So,
1: what if we have to start an IV and draw blood? Or, what if we have to start an IV and draw blood and then they're going to get stitches or they're going to have to have some other sort of painful procedure? But starting an IV is very, very common. Drawing blood then from that IV is very, very common. So Um, Not just with your autism children, but those other diagnoses as well. No kid likes this, obviously. It's going to involve being still. It's going to involve a needle. It's going to involve seeing blood. um, It's going to involve a tourniquet, which is tight. Um, If they move too much, it's going to mean that the IV doesn't go in and we're going to have to do it all over again. So uh, it's a procedure that takes several minutes from start to finish. Um, what thoughts do you have on that? A lot of times with kids, um, we use a lot of distraction to distract yes, them while we're doing that. That's
2: exactly what I would. I would say for someone with autism, vibration would be a really cool thing to do at the same time. I would say it's the top five list of favorite things would be vibration. Um, so a lot of the fidgets in this box that uh, they would have vibration. You can, there can be small things. They can be large things. The biggest thing would be a weighted blanket and then some type of thing in their hand. Whether it's a vibrating tool or some, like, if you don't have anything, give them a pen. Give them something to hold on to. Uh, Otherwise, that hand may move and rip it out or or go to pinch you because you're hurting them. So they're going to hurt you, too.
1: Okay. Got it. What about your ODD kids starting an IV, drawing blood?
2: Choices. Always give a choice to an oppositional child. So say, you know, I'm going to do this, but while I'm doing it, you have a choice of what you can look at or hold on to while it's happening. Okay. And the power of choice is like, now I'm in control. Um, I would say 99% of the time it'll take away some of the angsty feelings that are there.
1: One of the things that I like to say to kids when I'm starting an IV is, You can scream and yell as loud as you want, but I just need you to be still. And one of the reasons why it works well oftentimes is because kids are never told that they're allowed to be as loud as they want, especially inside. Um, And so when I say you can yell and scream as much as you want and older kids, I'll say you can even cuss. Yeah. Um, their moms are usually like, no, you can't, uh, but no, like, shh, shh,
0: cuss. now like... is the time for an F-bomb and no one will yell at you if you drop it. As long as you're still, I don't
1: care how loud you are and yeah. they look at me, I guess you can. So yeah. Okay.
2: That's, That's perfect. Right. And I always tell people, I had a kid, he cussed an average of 250 times a day. Wow. And like, oh, also, awesome. I loved it. And <laughs> Sounds like, like me, <laughs> frankly. I just... <laughs> I gave him, uh, every 10 minutes, I gave him a cussing list and he read them out loud. And then after a while, he didn't want to cuss anymore because why? Yeah, you she took lets the you power the time. away. I, you yeah. just take the power away from it. And that's a powerful tool when you have to do something that's painful or you have to do this procedure. I'm going to do this, but let me give you some power or to remove the power and let you, you know, cuss, scream, yell. But, it, you know, it's going to happen. Mm. So laying out those guidelines, but also offering the power of choice and sometimes even negating some of the negative things like screaming, cursing, yelling, um, Mm. very powerful.
1: Okay. So can you go over some of the don'ts of what to do when we're caring for, we talked about it in the first half of the episode, but in the, um, so we're in the treatment room with uh, your students what would be some of the don'ts
2: I, I know this is probably a difficult one to work around but repeating questions i would repeating a question that they don't know the answer to or that you're not understanding their response to can cause a st- an intense stemming episode i would if they're not understanding your question i would say this by the second time you ask it you just need to go to a different question or totally ask it in a different way even as a parent, I get in the awful habit of repeating the same thing. And I'm like, you obviously, what am I doing? You obviously don't understand what I'm asking you or I'm not understanding you. Also moving too quickly, I would say is, is another big thing. I know sometimes it's an emergency situation. And if you do have to move quickly, uh, coming from the arms at the, from your sides forward, rather than from the chest forward, uh, there's something about the visual spatial, parts of that, that makes a difference as well.
1: And you mentioned also about intense eye contact, particularly yes. in autism spectrum, that it's, it's uh, almost like a rude thing. It, where... it
2: is. I, I mean, that's the closest thing I could use to describe it. But if you were, if you watch the videos that are linked at the bottom of the document, you kind of get an idea of how uh, intense eye contact is like a nonverbal form of communication. Well, you're asking someone who already is struggling to pick up the normal form of communication to pick up your nonverbal cueing, and it, it can create a lot of frustration. It can, it can kind of cause some anxiety to increase. So I usually look at the sides of the eyes, the tip of the nose, or the forehead.
0: Okay. So you're still looking them in the so face, which is respectful. You are. But you're just yeah, not, like, you're just, locking eyes and... You're just not
2: locking eyes because they're like, are you trying to say something to me? Because I'm genuinely not getting what you're putting out.
0: Right. Well, there are other cultures that respond very uh, um, adversely to the American impulse to look you in the eye and to smile a lot. I've heard about that. Uh, that that you can go into other countries, and we Americans like blithely smile at everybody that walks by and people are like, Why are they showing <laughs> me their teeth? What is that all about? Because in other cultures it's a bit aggressive um, or unfamiliar. Yes. So you know if if that is a cultural thing already i i I can imagine how confusing it would be for a child whose sensory perception is already um, overloaded. Yes,
2: mm. absolutely.
0: And I think this
2: these
1: other two points that you make are probably true of every child, um, but if they come in with a comfort object of some kind that they bring in from home, make sure that they get to keep that as much as possible, if possible. Yes. Um, and then uh, I noticed that you say in your toolkit to try to get kind of, instead of stand over them to yeah. like. And that's true of any kid. We should always sort of yeah. try to get down to eye level with them, so you don't they don't feel like you're like lording right, over right, them. Right, right, right.
2: Try to get down to their level. Absolutely. And then just remember when you're down at that level, especially with a person with autism, um, or even you know some of your uh, lower functioning friends, they might consider your close proximity and the eye contact like we were saying to be aggressive so they might lash out unintentionally just like what are you doing like a shove or a pinch um occasionally you'll get a bite and then another don't is is I would be really careful about handing them something that uh can be put in their mouth and choked on um so you know sometimes if you are going to go to like here hold this or this will make you feel better always be careful about um the oral fixation that you can often see.
1: So the distraction items and the fidget items that you encourage them to have in their hands should be too big for them to put in their mouth. Maybe they can put it in their mouth, but it's not going to be something they can choke on. And some
2: of the things are small. I would say just know your patient. Just like I know the student and it is harder because it's on a quicker basis. But if you, if they're not talking to you, um, or you notice a, a, like, uh, they're biting their mouth a lot or they're biting at their skin, I would definitely not give them anything that could be put in their mouth. I see. You can usually pick up your oral fixation kids really quick. Their shirt will be soaked where they were sucking on their shirt.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a really good hint good. to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've talked about physical bruising and other things, but if they've got an oral fixation, you just pointed out that hint. Is there anything else that you yeah. might see? uh, uh
2: but bite marks on their own body. Okay. I mean, uh, it's really hard to see somebody with bite marks. Your first instinct is who has hurt you. Are you being abused? Like, ah, um, bite marks on their body could be them. I had a girl, she used to suck her skin and have awful purple bruises all over her body. I mean, it looked like she was just being abused. I mean, genuinely being abused. And it was, it was her, it was her coping. And it was something we really, really worked on. And by the end, uh, we actually got her to stop doing that, which was awesome. Wow, that's but good. But initially, yeah, initially, I mean, she was head to toe, purple, thick bruising.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: Um, So, I, yeah, if you get a patient that's covered in them, I definitely would call a social service worker, but I would also keep a really close eye on it, how often they might uh, put something in their mouth, and that might be an indicator that's actually them that's doing it. Got it.
0: That's good to know. You
1: mentioned in the last episode that, um, often children with some of the diagnoses on that we have talked about, will have a a sort of a special interest. Like you mentioned Titanic. I I had a friend whose special interest was maps, anything map related. Uh, he loved it. So would that be something that we could focus on and talk about and encourage them to, and that would be soothing to them. We could bring, bring that
2: up. Um, the power of a, of a good conversation can go a long way, especially if you're a high-functioning person with autism or one of the other disabilities we've discussed. Definitely bring up special interests. I would say it's actually a special needs flag is the special interest. So you can, you can definitely start that conversation by saying, hey, I really like this. Uh, do you like that? Or do you have something that you're interested in? Sadly, your nonverbal friends, it's really hard to kind of pick out their special interests without some type of visual cueing. So that's why on my list, there's actually a a book that talks about different things that they might be interested in. So maybe they could look at it while you're doing stuff.
1: So maybe music or something on TV that you could tune into possibly?
2: Absolutely. Never underestimate the power of good technology. I would say music is number one.
0: And to drown out the sounds you said earlier, noise-canceling headphones could be really helpful. Yes. I could see how pop a couple of, pop some headphones on them and their favorite band. Yes. and Or white noise. Or white noise, yeah. White
2: noise. There's also, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a hertz. It's a certain number of hertz, H-E-R-T-Z. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like a vibration. Mm-hmm. And it's like Tibetan bowls almost. Uh, that vibration is really, really soothing. And you can buy an app Easy, $0.99 cents away, spent, put that baby in, good to go. Good to go. Wow. That's excellent.
1: That would be really good in the ER where it would be very difficult to manage the noise. Yeah. But yes. that those noise-canceling headphones may be just the thing. That's great. Yeah. And you could
2: wipe them down in between patients. Yes. I love it. We have to wipe them down now. Yeah. I mean, sure. I still use my stuff, but the first day of school, we spent a good hour talking about cleaning them with our... Sanitation wipes that smell like sh- tequila. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's I'm like, I'm alcohol
0: drunk from these wipes. <laughs> so, but, yeah, are right. there any closing thoughts? Any last things that we didn't ki- that we didn't touch upon? Any closing thoughts, advice you would give to to nurses in the ER and uh, or encouragement? Uh, what what parting words would you like to give to our our listeners about um, how best to deal with special populations? Not only for the patient. Uh, but for them, for the for the nurses themselves,
2: uh, the two things. The first is you probably are doing a lot of things right. You just don't know that you're doing it right. And so I often commend the hard work that you do to cover all these bases that you have to do while also triaging and stabilizing patients. I mean that's, that's pretty amazing. And the second thing is we are never too old. To learn something new. And we're never. Honestly it makes it makes us better. Every time we learn something new. So always challenge yourself. To, to be educated all the time. Try new things. And if it doesn't work. Don't give up on that thing. But be willing to give new things a shot. We can get really stuck in our ways sometimes. Especially when. Day in and day out. You know repetitive things.
0: Mm-hmm. And so. and in this industry specifically with our nurses, um, it's it's this, this is the difference between life and death, and this is the difference between making a patient have a a better experience surviving a trauma when they have to go into the ER. Um, and I I know that all the nurses I've spoken to and I've met through this podcast are their main primary only focus is the well being and care of their patients. Um, and this uh, episode, these two episodes, I hope will provide them with more information for how to do that even more effectively for a very special population that is very, very difficult to manage. Um, we really, really appreciate your coming, Nisa. Did you have any last questions? I just.
1: Yeah, I, no, I just a few comments. I, Brittany, I thank you for what you're doing and for all this information that you've put together and that you're willing to share with our listeners. I have learned so many things that I can't wait. To implement into my practice. And I love what you have at the end of your toolkit where it says that they
0: are different, but not less. Right. I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Brittany. We really appreciate your spending the time with us today. This is excellent. Thank you. Great. All right. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Uh, Thanks listeners for listening. And we will have a new episode for you shortly. Bye. Bye. The anal probe is no longer used, right? I'm not being rude here, but I remember being a little girl and my mother always took my temperature using an anal thermometer. And I remember even as a little kid thinking that was torture. And Uh, I read it. My my, my friends, like they're like, oh, but they just, my mom puts it in my mouth. (laughs) So it's
1: rectal. First of all,
0: second of all,
1: (laughs) (laughs) once you're past, I don't know, old enough to hold it in your mouth, that's for babies and unresponsive people i still
0: remember this okay
1: wow so clearly my
0: parents were using the rectal thermometer way way late like (laughs) hashtag me too i must have been like i was about to say
2: you need to talk
0: to your mom (laughs) you need what was Uh, all that okay anyway sorry 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 back on topic